This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, howdy, Bridgeway. It's great to see you here this morning. It's great to be back with you. Man, I feel like I've got a lot to catch up on, but it's so good just to be together. And before we dive into our series this morning, I just wanted to say uh, just a quick word uh, to you. And first of all, by saying last week, Aaron and Jill Boyd were just absolutely amazing. I was so blessed by their ministry. I'm so grateful if you missed them. Uh, it was just a great time of celebrating and having them share with us. But I really wanted to say something just as your pastor a moment to the church because I was blown away when I heard the news that um, we were able to collect for them and bless them with, get this, uh, a little over $7,500 last weekend. And so that deserves a praise, God. Could you put your hands together and thank God for that? Just, um, yeah, so, so good. I just tell you, I'm just uh, just grateful for a church that, that cares about justice and the widow and the orphan and world orphans, and just to have them as our friends is just so special here in our church. And as I said, I've got lots to catch up on this morning, but I, I want to dive into God's Word together with you. And so um, if you're new or if you're visiting or just tuning in with us, we've been in this series uh, looking at these words to live by. We've been trying to take just one word each week and, and really apply this word to our lives. And it's kind of been like our summer jam, our summer project, is learn these, these one word a week kind of projects. And I got to tell you, it's been an amazing summer. I hope you're having a great summer. In fact, I'd said to my wife, and it was odd that we got this rain last night, because I had said, I can't think of a, a summer recently that has been this amazing. I mean, just every day, warm and sunny. And some of you are like, yeah, it's too hot. Well, let me remind you, January is coming, right? Like, it, it'll be here before you know it. It's just been this, this awesome, awesome summer. And, and I've hoped that in this series that what God would do is, as much as you love summer and you love your summer plans, that, that God would ignite something in you by these words, that these words was kinda, would kind of tip off for you the way in which God is calling you deeper into a relationship with him. In fact, these words to live by are kind of been like my secret agenda to, to sort of teach you discipleship. I've been trying to lay each week kind of a, a foundational word on what discipleship means. So if you go back to the very first message in this series, we looked at one word, it was the word help. And I taught you this word help as really a prayer that you have at all times this ability to, to call on God, to cry out to God, to invite God into your life and into the problems and everyday issues and, and to do that not only for yourself but for other people. And I got thinking afterwards that, you know, if you, if you ever were to say like, well, I don't have anything to pray about, I don't, I don't have anything to call on God about, then, then in some ways you've sort of replaced God, you've become God. And so it's it's great for us to be reminded of our prayer life with God. Second word we looked at was this word enough. And this is the word that Jesus really embodied, that there were times and moments in the life of Jesus where he just drew a line in the sand and he just said, enough. And it was kind of the, the odd side of Jesus. We think of Jesus all meek and mild, and yet he's this, he's this warrior. And, and I think for our lives, we have to have those moments where as believers, we just draw a line in the sand and say, whether it's in my lifestyle or, or my consumerism or morally or ethically, there are times when I've just got to draw a line and say, enough. We looked at this other word. We looked at the word friend. And it was my hope that you would pick up on God's desire for us to be, to, to be more than just like acquaintances, but to actually be family and, and to have this way in which we do life together. And so you should all have a friend. You should all have someone who cares about your spiritual life and your spiritual journey. 
And then a couple of weeks ago, Justin, what can I say? He, he's an overachiever. He couldn't give you just one word. He had to give you two words, right? Like, way to go, following instructions here. But he gave you the words yes and no, and they work together. And, and I think they lay out for us this, this need for us to really follow through and to say yes to God, to, to make commitments that we stand behind, and maybe to say no even to, to, to lesser things. I've been hoping that these words would become part of your, your life. And, and I, I really feel like these words, they're, they're easy to say, but they're so hard to live out. My, my promise to you continues and remains that if you learn these words and apply these words, that your life truly will be richer and your relationships will be stronger and, and your faith will run much, much deeper. In fact, especially with the word that I want to teach you this morning. But before we get there, I just want to ask kind of a, just kind of a question for all of us to think about this morning. And, and the question has to do with what I want to talk about. But the question is this. Do you ever struggle with sharing your faith? Some of you are looking at me like, yes, all the time I struggle with sharing my faith. I mean, it's challenging, right, to know what to say about what you believe in mixed company, right? Like, I mean, you don't know how that's going to be received. You, you care very deeply about the person. You want to make sure that they understand you properly. Maybe, maybe sometimes sharing your faith is hard because... Well, there's kind of this stigma about Christians, right? I mean, sometimes we, we have this great love for Jesus, but we can kind of come off as sounding sort of like a jerk. And, and you don't want that. You've witnessed that. You don't want to see that in your life. And maybe it's just because you care about your faith and, and you don't want someone to kind of water your faith down. And so sometimes it's easier just to say nothing. But, but then that doesn't sit well with you because you, you live in this pluralistic world, world and you, you don't want to just... Let it go to the side. Maybe part of what's hard about sharing your faith is, well, you just don't know what questions are going to come up. I mean, what if the other person actually knows more about your faith than, than you do? And you don't want to, again, feel like you don't know how to answer them. And there can be all of these scenarios, and they can all just sort of feel kind of awkward. And so you just say, well, I'm not even going to bother. In fact, a lot of our interactions are awkward and talking about faith. In fact, even, even at times, you know, for me as your pastor, in fact, a couple of weeks ago when I was away, I was out in Iowa with my youngest son at a wrestling tournament. And I know some of you think wrestling is a winter sport, not in my home. In fact, there are only two seasons in my house. There's wrestling season and preparing for wrestling season. So we were out in Iowa and we were at this big tournament and having just a great time, father-son moment, but it was insane. It was this beautiful complex um, just absolutely beautiful, except for one thing. There was no internet service in this entire sports complex. And you had about seven, 800 kids competing, and then about twice that number of adults. And I'll just tell you, no internet service, people were losing their minds. I mean, it was just this tension so thick in the arena. And I had found the one place in the entire arena that if I sat next to this door that went outside and I held my phone against the door, I could get one bar of Verizon service. And I had found like this place, and so I was camped out there, and, and I wasn't even on my phone. I was actually reading a book at the time, and, and this person came up to me, came kind of storming at me, and I think he thought I was like the gatekeeper of the door, and, and he's like, I need to get through that door. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I, in fact, I think that's the only way you're going to get internet service. And and this individual, like, have you ever had someone that just, like, decided to unload on you? <laughs> this person just decided to tell me all the things that were wrong with this facility, which we all knew. And, 
And he started to get very, I'll just say for the kids in the room, very colorful with his language. And I'm like, earmuffs, you know, just a, a lot of words that were very vibrant and colorful. And he's going on and on. And I'm realizing it's therapy session. I've kind of like become a listening ear for this guy. And he's just going on and on. And oh, by the way, I, I have this book in my lap and it's like my new favorite book. And it's all about Jesus. And so as this guy is kind of ranting and ranting and ranting, he eventually kind of calms down. And he finds a friend in me, and he just kind of asks me, he says, so what book are you reading? And I just kind of like read him the cover. I said, oh, it's the genius of Jesus. How Jesus is more of a genius than any, you know, any other artist in all of, all of life. And I could just see this man's face. He just melted thinking of all the things he had just said to me. And he's like, I'll have to check it out. And he went right out the door. Like, I, I never saw him again the entire rest of the weekend. I think he was just happy to be away from me. But it gets kind of awkward. How do we share our faith? And, and maybe today, how do we think of the ways in which we share our faith that, that can be the most becoming of, of our Christian faith? I, I want to give you this morning maybe what I consider to be kind of the, the secret, the hidden secrets to sharing your faith. And I want to unpack for you a story in John. We've been in John for this entire series. And so if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn to John chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. And I'm actually going to be reading from a slightly different translation. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. So if you're reading along in your pew Bibles, the words are going to be just a little bit different. But as I said, I've been reading this book and rereading the book of John throughout uh, the summer. And I've been uh, getting a great deal of joy out of reading it in different translations. And so today I'm going to read, as I said, from the ESV. But you know, this book of John is so fascinating because the writer is giving us some different insights that no other writer gives us about Jesus. In fact, he's showing how when Jesus comes into your life, comes into the world, he turns over everything about you. And so we've looked at a few of these stories. Jesus comes to a wedding and he turns the water into wine. And everyone's amazed at this, this incredible sign. Jesus, then we find him in the temple and he turns over the tables of the money changers and he drives out the animals, and he, you know, changes the way in which this religious system was so faulty. We see Jesus come into a conversation in the middle of the night with one man, Nicodemus, and he turns over in Nicodemus's mind what it means to be a born-again Christian. And now we see this scene, and Jesus is now going to find himself alongside of a river. In fact, there's going to be kind of two groups of people. There's going to be Jesus and his disciples, and they're on one stretch of the river baptizing people, and then just down the river, there's going to be another individual. His name is John the Baptist. And he and his disciples are baptizing people. And there's going to become a dispute. And I want you to hear these words, and then we'll get into our word of the day. John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. It says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. Now, I'm not going to talk about this this morning, but I want you to know that John the Baptist, he, he sort of knows where his end game is going. He can kind of see his finish line, and it, it ends in prison, and then ultimately ends in his beheading. He's not there yet, but that's where he is going as a follower of Jesus. It says next, verse 25, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, 
A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. There's a lot going on in this little story, and there's a lot of words, but the one word I want you to take from today is this word witness. And I can imagine this morning that you have some familiarity, some understanding of this word witness, but I want you to know that this word is really being used to describe you and me as followers of Jesus. In fact, being a witness is something that is always happening. Your witness is kind of always going on in the background, whether you realize it, whether you like it or not. In fact, I want to say specifically to those of you who today who are a Christian, if you don't hear me say anything else today, I want you to know that you are bearing a witness to the world around you, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family members, at all times. Now, it's so interesting because if you're here today and you're not a Christian, then I got news for you. You're kind of like off the hook on this teaching, right? In fact, I say all the time, bring, bring your friends. This is a great place to invite your friends that don't know or follow Jesus because today is great. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you actually get to look at the friend that invited you and you get to kind of size them up and say, are they living out what it really truly means to be a witness, to be a witness for Jesus. So let's kind of get into this this morning. Let's actually look at this word, and let me give you just, uh, I'm sorry, back one slide, a real simple definition of the word witness. Now, a witness, very simply, is defined as someone who sees something, who experiences something, and then is called upon to tell about it. So you probably get this word, right? It's kind of like a a legal term in a court of law. The defendant calls, Your Honor, we call our first witness. And what do they do? The witness gets, up, witness gets up on the stand and promises to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And, and then there's this exchange, right? There's this 20 questions that get asked and responded to. The person is actually giving their, their testifying as to what they've seen. And they're legally held to tell the truth. And that's what John is getting at here, this beautiful word, witness, that we're all called to be this, to bear witness. I think what John is saying here is, there are some things in life that when you've seen something, it's hard to unsee it. And we have this happen with both good things and bad things. You've seen some things, and they've probably been hard to unsee in your life. In fact, as a pastor, I'm often confronted with people who've experienced trauma in their lives. They've gone through really difficult moments, and they've seen some things. They've experienced some things. And kind of the simple way of, of thinking about it is sometimes if you see something, oftentimes what doesn't get repaired as trauma in your life often gets repeated. And so there's a cycle oftentimes of someone who's seen abuse and then either falls into or becomes an abuser. There's this pattern of someone who's seen and experienced, you know, alcohol abuse, and then they can't help but fall into it as well. If it doesn't get repaired, it gets repeated. And there's just things that you see them. In fact, I've had people describe to me just traumatic moments, like even being in a car accident, and how they can not unsee that metal kind of coming in on them and the airbag going off and, and just difficult to unsee. In fact, um, I don't talk about it very often, but when I was in my 20s, I, I actually witnessed someone uh, getting killed uh, right in front of me about 
10 feet away from me, there was an industrial accident at a paper mill I was, serv I was working at. And I, I still, to this day, cannot unsee that moment. I won't go into details. But, but there are also moments that are so beautiful, they're so transformative that you can't unsee those as well, right? I mean, you think about it if you're a parent and, and you see the birth of your first child, right? And the birth of every child after that. It never gets old. Or in fact, as I'm standing up here, it's, it's kind of a surreal moment because the last time I was standing up here, I wasn't preaching. I was actually uh, having the opportunity to marry my daughter and her fiancé, and Amory and Kenley, and, and it's hard to unsee that moment. She, I walked her down that aisle, right through that door, right up here to the stage, and then I did something I wouldn't recommend. I not only gave her away, that was emotional enough, and then I actually came up on the stage and then married the two of them. I was I was a wreck. I was just emotionally a wreck, but it was so, she was such a stunning bride, just so beautiful. You can't unsee these moments. There are some moments that you just can't unsee, and I think that's what John has experienced. In fact, if you read through the book here, you'll see that he, he talks about these moments. In fact, John the Baptist is actually related to Jesus. He's his cousin. In fact, if you know the Christmas story, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, finds out she's pregnant, she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth. And we're told in that moment the strange sort of fetal connection because Elizabeth is pregnant as well. And it says in the text that the baby inside of Elizabeth's womb jumps for joy at the sound of Mary's voice, just being in the presence of Jesus. And that other child is none other than John the Baptist. He knew that his job in life was to be a witness of this coming Savior of the world. And so John uses language to describe his witness, that he saw Jesus, the light of the world. Or verse 29 in chapter 1, John says that when he saw Jesus, he said these words, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's seen something. And that's why this is so strange, because this entire setting seems so out of place. In fact, uh, he's a witness to Jesus, but they're having kind of this strange disagreement, and it's, it's by the river. It's at a site of baptism. Now, this is a picture where um, a friend of mine was actually there. He, he said, it's so odd, Ron. I've, I've been to Anon near Salem, which is where they think John the Baptist was baptizing. And he said, it's crazy. You've got all this desert around you, except for this one lush river. And, and it's believed that John was right here on the river baptizing people, and Jesus and his disciples were just downstream. And this beautiful, serene moment is ruined by a dispute. Did you catch the dispute? They're, they're arguing over baptism. In fact, it says that a Jew came up and asked and said to John, Hey, John, you know that guy that you saw over there, that light of the world, that Lamb of God, you know, did you realize that he's baptizing people too? And, oh, by the way, Jesus is crushing it, John. Like, you're not even close to putting up the kind of numbers that he is. He's being far more effective. It's almost like if today you were to put this in words, it would be like someone coming to John saying, you know, John, you're kind of, you're going to fall victim to cancel culture, right? You're not relevant. You're not effective. You know, the other guy is way, way better at this. He has a better brand, better platform. He's a much better influencer than you are. And this is what's so fascinating about the witness of John the Baptist. None of this even seems to phase him. In fact, uh, just as a side note, many of you know or many of you have been a part of our baptism services here at Bridgeway, and we've got one coming up this September, September 11th, and I, I tell everyone, this is my absolute favorite. I mean, I love Christmas, I love Easter, but, but baptism and anniversary, that's like, that's like the time when we really get to hear what God is doing in, in people's lives, and I love that moment 
And I just think it could be so strange if you, if you just distorted that moment, right? I mean, could you imagine if, if that happened, this scene happened today? I mean, what if someone came to me or to Pastor Mike or Pastor Justin and, and they kind of like led into us, right? Like, hey, you guys, don't you know that that church up the street is baptizing way more people? I mean, of course, we got big churches up that way. We got big churches up. I mean, West Michigan, you're surrounded by big churches. But I mean, how silly would that be if we turn baptism into some sort of competition, right? I mean, baptism is all about obedience. If you've seen something, if you've witnessed Jesus transform your life, then you can't help but not tell people about that. And that's that's the heart of what we want to do. And so I'd say the same thing today. If you've never been baptized or if you were baptized as an infant and you really didn't get a whole lot of say in that, then we would love to invite you to baptism, to be a part of that and to share your story and to bear witness to what God has done in your life. I think this first secret of being a witness is really learning from John that, that if, if you are a witness, then you have this freedom from comparison. I mean, you have this ultimate freedom. If if Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. And I just got to say, I've been thinking all week about this, about how you have this freedom from comparing yourself. I mean, I want you to know this morning that you are not what you have. And you are not what you do. And you are not what people think about you. In fact, I, I got to repeat that because I, I think for some of you today, this, this is the entire message. This is the whole reason why God has brought you here this morning. It's just to know, and to know at your core, that you are not what you have, and you are not what you do, and you are not, definitely not, what people think of you. In fact, this is one of those things that, you know, I don't know, I'm getting older, I'm in my 50s, I'm reflective now, and if there's like one thing I, I know now that I wish I knew back in my 20s and 30s, it would be this, that there's no performative, there's no comparison trap that will get you anywhere in life. You are free from this comparison. Some of you are thinking, well, is this really about our witness? Well, if, if you don't get this right, you'll forever fall in the cycle and trap of comparing yourself to others. We have to be free to just be who we are. And I love what John says here. In fact, he says these words that just, it's so attractive. You want to be around a guy like John. He answers this silly dispute. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to them from heaven. I mean, isn't that attractive? I mean, let me ask it a different way. Do you know anyone who's, like, sort of compensating in life? Like, they're trying really hard to be something or someone they're not. John is not that guy. John is just like, hey, I've gotten some gifts from God. I've received some things from heaven, and that's my witness. That's all I can do. All I can do is bring that to the world around me. And what if we live that way? What if we began to live with just this mindset that, hey, what you have, it's, it's God-given. It's from heaven. Another pastor, the way he says it is just take inventory. What's what's in your hand? Just take inventory. What, what are you good at? What are your skills? What are your abilities? He uses the example of a shovel. If God's put a shovel in your hand, then just be really good with a shovel. Like, dig really well. If it's a rake, you know, scrape really well. If, if your gift is God's given you a great mind and you can think and plan or organize, then, then do that. If God's given you these words that are so helpful and so encouraging, then do that. Share those with other. Take inventory. I think what John is getting at is kind of a theological truth that really frees us from this burden of sharing our faith. And it's really this idea of, of the sovereignty of God, how God is sovereign in, in all places at all times. In fact, the definition of sovereignty is just this idea that God has this all-encompassing rule 
over the entire universe. You live in West Michigan. There's lots of Reformed churches. There's lots of Christian Reformed churches. They, they kind of got this from a guy by the name of Abraham Kuyper. Kuyper is famous for saying, if you go to Kuyper College, just down the belt line, you'll find plaques all around the university that say these words from Kuyper, that there is not one square inch in all of God's creation in which God does not claim mine. And that's the rule of God. And God has this rule over all things and over all people. So just simply take inventory. What do you have and who has God called you to be an influence on around you? Now, sometimes when it comes to sharing your faith, people can get kind of confused. Well, I mean, pastor, what does this mean? I mean, if God is sovereign, then do I really even have to share my faith? I mean, if in the end, God is just going to save who God saves and God is going to do what God does, then, then what part do I really play in God's huge plan of life? And I think John gives us the answer to that as well. Because while we may not have every gift from heaven, we can control our attitudes and the ways in which we interact with people around us. And again, John gives us this in this context of wedding. He says there's a bride. And the bride is for none other than the groom, the bridegroom. And he said, but at a wedding, there's all these other people, right? There's family and friends, and there's a wedding party. And John says, there's this friend of the groom. And he says, when you're at a wedding, and I just lived this a, couple, a week ago, and so it's, it's very real to me. But when you see what God is doing and bringing someone together, it's just joyful. You can't help but celebrate. And John says, now that joy is mine. And I think this gives us really the secret to sharing our faith, which is our greatest impact as a witness is always the joy we bring. I mean, I probably don't need to tell you what kind of a world we live in today. It's incredibly toxic. There is so much negativity. There is so much political infighting. I've been joking and saying to people, like, are we ever going to, you know, meet in the middle on anything anymore? I mean, do we live in the United States or the divided states of America, right? And I think what happens when you live in this culture for long enough is people just give up. And I think people just become accustomed to saying, you know, well, all, all I'm going to get is, is criticism. And so I have to respond with criticism. And all I'm going to get is a snide remark. And so I better be ready and prepared with my remarks as well. And it just kind of pits these sides against each other. And I'll tell you this morning that joy is the weapon that no one is expecting. I mean, no one is expecting you to be joyful when it comes to conversations, especially ones that have very dynamic situations around them, Right? And joy is this weapon that no one is expecting, that you can be joy-filled. And some of you this morning, if you think that's just too simple, then you're, you're probably not doing it right, right? I mean, if you, if you think that this is easy, then, then you probably need to brush up against people who, who, who maybe get under your skin a little bit more. And if you're really, really good at this, then you'll begin to, to kind of watch every interaction you have. And maybe you got to kind of like leave the room and, and kind of ask yourself, like an out-of-body experience, hey, in that meeting right now, Am I the most joy-filled person that anyone's ever met? Hey, hey, on that phone call that I just hung up on, was I, was I filled with joy? Was I the joy that no one was expecting? I mean, if you really want to be challenged by this, start asking the people around you. Maybe start with your kids. Hey, kids, am I the most joy-filled person to be around? If you're really brave, ask your spouse. Hey, sweetie, you know, how about it? Am I the most joy-filled person? And, and just knowing that those are the ways in which we can share our witness. That's how that begins is how our world will know what we believe. So John kind of closes this whole thing out with one last verse and one last secret. And I would tell you that these are the words that you, you should underline in your Bible. You should commit these to memory. You should burn these into your retina because these are pure gold when John says, he must increase, but I must decrease. 
Jesus must become greater and I must become less. Jesus must be elevated in the world and conversations and concerns I have and, and I have to actually back in, in humility from what's going on. He must increase. Now, I love this. I think the most important word is this, this word must. It's a divine must. He must become greater. How, how about for you this morning? Is Jesus the greatest thing in your life? And, and are you taking kind of the path of saying, you know what, I'm going to elevate him and I'm going to find ways in which I can kind of decrease in, in my pride and in my influence around me. You know, um, Justin and, and Mike for the last several weeks have been talking about this serve day. And I couldn't be more excited because serving is really how we bear witness to our world around us. And I think the church always kind of has this feeling like it, it's something that happens indoors and there's four walls around it. And, and these moments of, of things like serve day are really our opportunity to kind of break out of the walls and and I think these are the moments that we can actually say, you know what, for a few hours on a Saturday morning, I'm going to make the name of Jesus great. And I'm going to decrease a little bit. I'm going to give up some of my time. I'm going to get up early. And, and I'm not going to worry about, about what I'm involved in. But I, I can make Jesus increase. I can, I can make him increase by showing up and washing a few cars or packing some, some care packages so that incoming freshmen know that they're loved by their church and picking up a rake and serving in that way. I, I, can, I can make Jesus' name great by just making myself a little lesser and serving the world and our community that needs us so badly. I, I want to challenge you this morning. I know we've had a number of people sign up after uh, first service and after um, even throughout this week, but as of last Sunday, we only had about six people signed up. And I get it. I know people are busy, but I, I want to challenge you this morning to not wait for your, for your calendar and schedule to open up, but to actually go and sign up and be a part of Serve Day. I want to invite the worship team to come up and just give us some time to think about these words, and I want to pray with you. And so if you would simply just bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to pray for us as a community. God, I thank you for this reminder this morning, this way in which you've designed us and called us to be your witness. And I want to just pray, God, that we, we would not overcomplicate that, that we would come into the places and conversations and people that you bring across our path. And we would look for the ways in which you're calling us to increase your name, to make your name greater. God, I pray in our place here that we would take on the path of servanthood and that we would show our world just all that you've done, that we would bear witness to what you've done in our life because of your incredible son, Jesus. God, we're not bear witness to you now by singing your name, by lifting up these words, and by giving you all of our worship, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.